and uh, my phone has literally been, we were FaceTimed at 5.30 a.m. by our oldest daughter this morning to pray with us, and she woke Gayla up, and Gayla answered the phone, and she couldn't see us because it was dark, and she said, what time is it? And Gayla said, it's 5.30, and she goes, well, I knew it was either 5.30 or 7.30, but I didn't want to Google it, and I was, so... We hung up the phone and I told my wife, I said, we didn't do a very good job teaching time zones to our kids. <laughs> so here's my family. Uh, I got a couple of pictures, I think. Uh, there we go. Can you give, give me the next one? There we go. So this is my uh, family. Uh, our oldest is on the far right, uh, Chelsea. Uh, our second daughter is Lauren, the next one over, and her husband, Brad. He's a, a student pastor uh, in our church back in Arlington. Of course, my wife uh, and I, Gayla, is uh, my, uh, she, like every man in here, I'm married way above my pay grade, uh, and so she, I'm, I'm excited for you to meet her. Uh, then this is our son, our youngest, uh, Seth David. Uh, he is a freshman in college. Uh, then our third daughter, Madeline, and uh, Goliath will be my new son, January the 12th. Uh, his name is Matt. And the second picture is of us at a Rangers game, and I added this in just so you can see that we know how to have fun. Uh, the, the Rangers lost that day, like the Cowboys and pretty much every other Dallas franchise. Uh, but uh, a moment of deprecate, uh, self-deprecation here. Go back to the other picture. There you go. So you'll notice that my wife and I are the exact same height. Now go to the other picture. And you can't see it, cause, thankfully, because it's kind of dark, but I'm literally standing on my tippy toes <laughs> just so I look as tall as the rest of the men. So... Uh, <laughs> So there, self-deprecation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 will be our text this morning. My desire this morning is to give you a a word of encouragement uh, from the Scripture. Uh, I want to challenge you with a word of vision, uh, and I want to challenge you as a Christ follower uh, and as a church. And from the moment the search committee uh, called us after the interview and said we'd like to schedule to have you come, Uh, I immediately began praying about what the Lord would have me preach on this morning, uh, and this was the text, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We sang about it this morning. We thank you, Father, that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for us. And that in his death, burial, and resurrection, we are invited back into relationship with you as your sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for those of us who have tasted and seen that you are good. Thank you for redeeming us from our sin and making us part of your family. God, it is our prayer this morning that any person here today who has failed to understand how deeply you love them, that their eyes would be open, that the Spirit of God would woo them. To Jesus Christ, and that they might be redeemed and made at peace with you. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us through these verses, challenge our lives as individual Christ followers and as a church, and we will be careful to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So I'd like to begin just by unpacking uh, these four verses, and then I'll try to translate the timeless truths of the text uh, into today. First of all, when we look at this passage, we see that uh, Jesus is journeying to where people are. In fact, it says Jesus went to all the cities. You know what the Greek translation of the word all is? All. Yes, somebody's done well. It's the word all. Now, clearly in the Gospels, we don't see every city mentioned, but the Scriptures are making the point that Jesus was about being where people are. And so Jesus travels from uh, every city and village, and He's doing three things. He's teaching uh, in the morning synagogue that was uh, didactic. It was, uh, there was an exchange of ideas. He was teaching about how life works in the interest of helping us live better. He was also, though, the Scripture says, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then finally, he was substantiating his ministry by healing every affirmity uh, and sickness, every disease and every affliction. So Jesus journeys to where people are. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we would see almost the identical verbiage uh, describing what Jesus was doing as he did these three things, traveling from place to place. And everywhere he went, uh, he was teaching He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing. But when we come to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, a transition is about to happen in Matthew's gospel. And so for the first time, as the disciples are following along with Jesus, they know the routine now. They've been doing it for quite a while. But this time, Jesus pauses. And as he looks on the city, something different happens. Now, we're given insight into what Jesus was feeling and thinking that the disciples did not have. But As they journey to where people are, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus saw the crowds and his reaction was that he was filled with compassion for them. Now prior to this particular passage, Jesus has been healing and exercising, but here something strikes him differently, something deeper and universal. The scripture says that Jesus saw the people. In uh, Africa, in a uh, Natal tribe, there's an expression, sawubona. Sawubona, it means, I see you. And they understand it this way, that until you have seen me, I don't exist. And so it's significant to note that Jesus sees people. Jesus sees you. You're not just a number. I'm not just a number. He sees us, and he's not instantly angry with us. He has compassion for us. Compassion, is, is the Greek word, means that his heart went out. It's a level of emotion that wants to do something, to act, to change circumstances as they are. This verb, compassion, uh, aptly describes the Jesus of the Gospels in a nutshell. This is who Jesus is. In fact, the meta narrative of Scripture, that is the overarching story, is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. This is the big picture story of the entire Bible. But it's also a story that's playing out in your life. You were created. You have fallen because of sin. Jesus came so that you might be redeemed. And one day you will be consummated into his glorious presence. And in this picture of compassion, we see what God is about. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that chaos, that's the word we see in Genesis 1, chaos hovered over the face of the deep. And so God enters, the Spirit enters chaos, and He creates something beautiful. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He sees our chaos, the chaos of our own sin, 
the chaos of the world that we live in. And God is about entering our chaos to create something beautiful. And so Jesus looks on the people and he has compassion on them. Why? Well, because they were harassed and helpless. Harassed and helpless. You feel harassed ever? Feel helpless? Are any of us well served by what goes on in Washington, D.C.? No, we're harassed out here. The word harassed means to flay, to remove the skin or to viscerate verbally. This is what Jesus sees when he looks at lost men and women in this world. They're harassed and they're helpless. There's nothing they can do about it. Their lives have no center. Their experience seems aimless. And he's moved to compassion for them. Now, who's to blame uh, for this condition of being harassed and helpless? Well, I think the scriptures all offer us three different answers to that. Number one, uh, our own lives. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the truth about you and I is, is that we are our own worst enemy. No one has done more to undermine you than you. No one has done more to undermine me than me. We need to be saved from ourselves. We're harassed and helpless, and most of us are doing it to ourselves. A second idea that comes from Scripture uh, is that of Lucifer. So our own lives, and then Lucifer, John 10.10, Jesus says, you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You're no match for this enemy, which is why you need God. So we have this enemy who harasses us with lies and accusations. Even after we come to know God, he whispers in our ears when once again we return to that familiar sin and then we feel repentance over it. He whispers to us, how can you call yourself a Christian? He's an enemy harassing us, leaving us helpless. But in this particular text, it's neither of those. In this particular text, what drives Jesus to feel compassion for the people is that he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. They've been harassed religiously, they've been harassed politically, and they're powerless to change anything. This has always been the way it was with God's people. They've always been sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a scathing rebuke of the religious leaders of the people of Israel. And in that passage, number uh, Jesus is not only rebuking, or God is not only rebuking the leaders of Israel, but he's also talking about his plans to be a shepherd himself. Numbers chapter 27, verse 17 says, Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep without a shepherd? Jesus, of course, is the ultimate answer to God's question. The gospel is God's response to his people being without a shepherd. Ezekiel 34 says this, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And then Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and go in and out and find pasture. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So to this point, 
The disciples don't really know what's going on in Jesus' heart and mind, but we do. And so after being filled with compassion for the state of the people, Jesus then moves from the flock to the field, and he speaks. He says these words, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And you can almost see the disciples reacting uh, with confidence that Jesus is on to something here. I mean, they've been to so many cities and so many towns. The need is so great. What we need is more shepherds. So what we need is, is more Jesus. I mean, that's, Peter's almost going to say, we just need a thousand more Jesuses. Like, let's ask God to send more Jesuses into the field. I mean, that's what we need. That's what I need. I need more Jesus. Do you? We uh, got to the airport Friday, and once we got to the airport, uh, I, we got a coffee, and I said, hey, I'm going to go get some breakfast, uh, so limited options, but I walked down to McDonald's, and uh, walked into DFW in the terminal there, walked up to McDonald's, and got my breakfast, and uh, I had a meaningful interaction there, so I texted my family, and I said, Jesus just served me breakfast at McDonald's. And I'm pretty sure that's a good sign. And my second daughter, Lauren, texted me back and said, are you sure that's not Jesus? And I said, well, no, I'm not completely certain. And now that you mention it, he was a little shorter than I expected Jesus to be. But I believe because I need Jesus. And if Jesus wants to grab my attention and serve me breakfast at McDonald's through a Mexican guy who's short named Jesus or Jesus, then I'll be at McDonald's to meet Jesus. We need more Jesus. Jesus has compassion on people, and what the world needs is the compassion of a shepherd. The disciples were tracking with Jesus, but they didn't expect what was coming next. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is going to start sending the disciples out. And what he says to them is, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. And so we say, hey, the disciples are like, Lord, stop down. We're sheep too. We're harassed. We're helpless. Like, we need to be with you. Don't, we're not prepared to be sent out. But what we discover is that God's plan in the world is predicated on your involvement and my involvement. You see, God meets people where they are, but He moves them to where He is. We're each called to discover our place in the mission of God to reach this world for Christ and to make disciples of men and women, boys and girls. But the problem is, we're sheep too. And sheep need, necessarily so, ministry that only Jesus can do inside of us. Let me give you a few examples. In John chapter 21, the disciples decide just to go fishing. Peter's the one who says it. I'm just going to go fishing. All is lost. And Jesus meets them there, already has breakfast cooked. Talk about breakfast. How would you like to have breakfast? Would Jesus prepared it? Someday he will break bread for us and he will serve the cup. But in that passage, Jesus approaches Peter knowing that Peter is beaten down, harassed, no doubt, and helpless by what he did just a few days prior. He denied the Lord who loved him three times. And those things must weigh on Peter. And so as Jesus begins to restore Peter, to touch the place of his wound, 
and to restore him to the purpose he has for his life, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? It's important for you to understand, Jesus is not asking you to explain why you did what you did. He knows you. What he wants to know is, have you come to the place where you understand how desperately you need him and you love him for what he's done for you? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Peter, tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. Feed my sheep. The Apostle Paul becomes a great servant for God. He goes through many hardships and trials. And we're told about a thorn in the flesh that three times he asked the Lord, please take this from me. Uh, Who among us doesn't feel that if God would just remove that part of us that that causes us so much to struggle, that, that the enemy lies to us about, if he would just remove it from us and give us something else. Have you prayed that? I have before. Just give me something else to deal with. But the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, what God wants to do is meet you where you are, touch the place of your woundedness, heal you or put you on the path to being healed, and then use you to reach other lost sheep. This is what we're called to do. I've experienced this in my own life. My wife and I have been married for 30 years, uh, 31 to be correct, sorry about that. 34, we've known each other. We were high school sweethearts. And a lot has happened over those years. Um, I came to Christ when I was nine years old and had a number of uh, um, hard experiences in growing up and becoming uh, serious about Christ and what he had done in my life. And I've, I've discovered that the greatest ministry that God has drawn out of me, the most meaningful ministry, and it's primarily to men, uh, is to speak to the wound in my own life. And then when I was willing to use it in the lives of other men, he used it greatly. When my story is used in the hands of God, my story becomes His glory. I'm going to encourage you before our time is out that so many of us try to hide our past. And when you do so, you stay imprisoned. The best way to allow God to triumph over your life is to let Him use your story. When your story gives Him glory, then it will change other people's lives. We've been through seasons of, of loss. We poured ourselves into our first church plant for seven years Uh, only to have God um, ask me to release it from my hands. Such a deep wound for us that I realized in the aftermath of that that God was teaching me what it was like to lose the way he has lost, sons and daughters. In this past season, a year and a half or so, uh, we uh, felt God was calling us to step down from the church that we were pastoring. We were anxious to continue on, but we knew that that was not to be the place. But we had also moved my father-in-law to live with us because of his health, health was failing. He did, know, did not know Christ. And despite my frustration inwardly because I wanted to continue being on about the Lord's work, we felt as though he was telling us to sit still. So we found a church that we could be involved in to encourage another pastor and to serve as a pastor in a volunteer capacity in that church. Um, my father-in-law asked me on one particular evening in May, how can I know, that? I, how can I have peace about knowing where I'm going. And so once again, after we've done it so many years, I shared Christ with him 
he asked Christ uh, into his life to forgive him of his sins, and he died a month later. We're so grateful that God had purpose in this season while we were struggling to know what was next. Uh, another thing, my, my wife and I prayed two consistent prayers for most of our lives. One of those prayers is that God would allow us to have stability for our kids, to raise them in, in a, a, a setting where they would have health. I watched so many pastors' families come and go when I was a kid. We wanted to give our kids stability. And so even though it was frustrating to me, our, our son was approaching, our fourth child was approaching the end of his high school career, and, and we were just so anxious, or I was too anxious to carry on, but what we discovered was that God was answering a prayer that we prayed to give our kids stability, and so our son graduated last year, and, and in the aftermath of that, we've discovered that God is ready now for us to move on. Uh, the other prayer that we have prayed consistently for 28 years in ministry uh, is that God would allow us, when we were ready, that he would allow us to grow old with a congregation. We come here um, believing that God is calling us here. We don't intend on going anywhere anytime soon. We want to come here and make this our home. We want to grow old with a congregation. We want to be sheep. We want to be a shepherd, rather, uh, for a flock without a shepherd. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What I would encourage you with this morning is that the season you've gone through, while it may be hurtful in many ways, and while you may have had accusations from the enemy about what God was doing here, was that you would be encouraged this morning that God causes all things to work together for good, those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Matthew chapter 9 teaches us that Jesus makes wounded healers out of flawed and fallen people. And this work of the gospel, making wounded healers, is the lifeblood of the church. And the church that is committed to the gospel is the hope of the world, the hope of a city, the hope of people. Now, let me give you three applications here. My heart for you this morning would simply be to encourage you to remember that Jesus came to Gunnison. I don't know when it came exactly. I don't know if it was in the 1800s when trappers and mountain men were working the area. I don't know if it was in uh, 19, uh, sorry, in the 1800s, 1853 to be exact, when John Gunnison uh, came through here looking for a route for the transcontinental. Or, or maybe uh, if it wasn't then, I know that at least it happened in 1918 when community church started in Gunnison. Jesus came here. You know why he came here? Because he loves to be where people are. And I don't know if you started out in Gunnison. I didn't. But wherever you started out, Jesus has been coming after you. There's no mountain he won't climb up, as that song says. There's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down coming after you. Jesus is coming after you. And he's not an angry God. He's a compassionate God. Jesus wants so much for you to know that he sees you, sabobona. He sees you, and he wants to give you his compassion, to change your life, to give you a hope, and a future. And that's, that counts for you as a son or a daughter, but it also counts for our church. If you're a seeker here this morning, you're someone who's entertained the idea of God, but you've never given your life to Christ, I hope that you know God sees you. And he's not mad at you. He took all of his frustrations about your sin out on his son, Jesus Christ. He just wants you to come running home into his warm embrace.
He wants to show you His compassion. The ball is in your court. Jesus wants to meet you where you are, where you most need Him to bind up your brokenness, to release you from the things that hold you, and to move you forward in His great purpose. He wants to enter your chaos and create something beautiful. And then He wants to release you to doing ministry out of your brokenness, to being about the mission of reaching lost men and women, and to multiplying yourself by discipling others. We are at one and the same time beloved sheep of the great shepherd and sent ones of our great Savior. We are called to incarnate the person of Jesus Christ. We're called to perpetuate Jesus, to let Jesus work in us, through us, as us. And I've got great news for you today. I am so optimistic about the future of Community Church in Gunnison. Why? Because she belongs to Christ. And Christ is a winner. The battle is already won. He's seated. It's significant that in the Old Testament there's no chair in the Holy of Holies because the work was never done. The high priest has to continue slaughtering animal after animal. But once Jesus has made a sacrifice, he ascends to the Father, and guess what he finds? A place to sit down and take a rest. He's done the work. And what Jesus says to the community church of Gunnison, to you and I as individual Christ followers, is that greater things than these will you do because I go to be with my Father in heaven. Do you believe that? The best days of this church are in the future. And that is because Jesus is not done working in this world. And you and I are the answer. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So close your eyes for a moment and see with your mind's eye. How is the compassionate glance of Jesus falling on you today? When you think of God looking at you, are you still in the land of the law and you know you're a lawbreaker and you know he's mad? Or have you tasted grace and discovered that despite your sin, he loves you immensely? That he has a purpose for your life to make you look like him? My prayer this morning is that you would recognize that Jesus understands in many ways you are a people still harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus has come to Gunnison. Jesus has come to Community Church, and He's still here. And I believe that He's providing shepherds for this flock to tend and care. So my encouragement to you this morning would be that you would simply press into Jesus Christ. He is the answer to every problem we face to draw life and health from Him and from His family that He's placed you in, the church. And then to learn how to become, in your own right, the wounded healer you are called to be. To be the one who looks after his, his or her own wounds and yet is ready and willing to help others with theirs. In this, we find ourselves and we give others the Jesus that they need. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. 
We thank you for the reminder this morning from, from Matthew's gospel that, that you see us. See Wabona. And in many ways, God, it's true. We don't really exist until our Creator sees us. And we're reminded, Father, that when you created us, you said, She's good. He's good. And despite our sin, you have not abandoned us, but you have entered the chaos of our lives, and you are in the process of creating beauty. And for that, we praise you, O God. And we ask for your good hand to release us to a new season of growth personally and to a new season of missional opportunity uh, as a church. And we pray all of this today in Christ's name.